The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Everybody, welcome to It's Okay to Ask Questions. Why, DS? Because it's always okay to ask some questions. <laughs> yes, ask those questions. I am Matthew Rodriguez, your host, and, along with. And this is DS Shin, a proud Gaijin. Yes, Gaijin in the house. Yeah, and also producer of this show. Yes, a very talented producer, might I add. Uh, welcome to episode two. Can you believe it? We've made it this far. <laughs> Second episode. Second episode. Last week we had Shea Coulee, and now we have the one and only ER Fightmaster, who this was a person that I was not familiar with before sitting down to learn about them. Um, one of our, our, our good friends here in the building, Aaron, works for NBC, suggested ER as a possible guest. Oh. Um, and I was like, okay, let me deep dive on this person. And I fell in love. Had you heard of ER? I did because of the whole news of the Grey's Anatomy, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about. Right. Do you like Grey's Anatomy? So, I liked season one. <laughs> Is that where Sandra <laughs> O oh was it, there? That's where it ended. Okay. That's where it ended for me. I mean, I like Grey's Anatomy. It's it's a wonderful show. And the, the staying power that it's had, yeah. I mean, those fans are rabid. And I think it's when I went back and watched the episodes that, uh, ER is a part of. I was so impressed with how strong the show still is. Really strong, and I've I've seen way too many fan edits at the, at this point. I feel like I know the whole romance storyline. I love it. Well, so to to elaborate on what you're talking about, ER uh, plays a non-binary doctor on Grey's Anatomy. First ever. First ever, and probably one of the first non-binary characters on major network television ever. Right. And they have this relationship on this series and it is so hot and heavy and everybody on TikTok and Instagram and all the feeds went nuts for it because it was representation that we have not seen. Absolutely. But also the scenes are very hot. Well, I mean, (laughs) at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who's doing it. You just want to see somebody doing it. Sexy time. (laughs) Sexy time. Sexy time. Uh, yeah, so ER, I mean, before that, they had this incredible career in improv here in Chicago at the Second City, which, I mean, if you haven't heard of the Second City, I don't know where you've been living, but uh, I heard of this I heard of this venue long before I ever moved to Chicago. It's one of the most, it, it, it probably is the most world-renowned improv stages, right. and ER was just at the top of their game when they were there. Are you an improv fan? I obviously cannot really do improv. No. That's why I'm like kind of confused why I'm <laughs> why I'm doing podcasts right now. But <laughs> it will because you're smart. Thank you. But I love people that are great at improv. Is improv big in Korea, which is no. where you're from? It's not. Not at all. No, yeah. they don't roll like that. 
we like everything. No, I don't know. We like everything metic- meticulously planned. That may okay. I don't know. I no definitely um, improv is very American thing. Okay, stand up very American thing too. And so what? Well, then we just salute ER Fightmaster, one of the most American people out there. Then Americana, right? <laughs> Americana, right there. But when we sat down for this interview at the Old Town Ale House, which is an institution here in Chicago, and we thank them for letting us use their space. I was so floored at the end of that conversation because ER is a sound bite machine. You were there. I mean, everything they said was so clear and easy to understand. And I walked away being like, well, I, well, I certainly learned something from this person. Absolutely. When it comes to the nine binary and discussing gender, explain it to me. And I think you'll find the same as you're listening. Explain it to me in a way that was so digestible. Right. It wasn't preachy. That's No, the thing. nothing was preachy. It was actually quite understanding from the other side, right. the way they shared their thoughts. What stood out to me was that they are, they're a superstar. They're on TV. Like this huge role but i thought i became like best friends with them oh this is my problem too like every time i interview someone i'm like oh they're gonna text me right they're gonna text me like <laughs> er has my number er i was texting er to help arrange this interview <laughs> er has not texted me heartbreaking i'm just you know i feel like once this comes out they're gonna realize that we're really close right and that right they want to be friends no but it was really just chill time talk talking to friends about their lives. Yeah. Dare say this is one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done. And I, I think everybody at home is going to really connect with ER. You're going to find out a lot about their history and where they've come from. And I, I only see huge things for them. So sit back, listen to the one, the only ER fight master. Okay. 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 Welcome back. Thank you. Well, so what's what was the story of the last time you were in here? Do you even remember? I remember almost nothing. It is truly, <laughs> it's truly a blur being in here. It was it was always you know Second City's right across the street. Yeah, and so we would do a show over there, and then we would drink at 1959, the bar over there. Yeah. And then when 1959 was like, you guys really need to go home, we'd be like, 100%. Okay, yeah. And we'd come over <laughs> but here. Like, 100%. 100%. 100%. And then we'd come over here and we'd, we'd drink until they kicked us out. Um, and I just remember, um, and I'm sorry for anyone who, who, to know this, but like, I just remember it would be all of us like piling into the bathroom and then one of us peeing in the toilet and one in the sink. That's me. And like, I think we're good. I think we can have a couple more drinks. Like, I am sure we're fine. So, okay. Needless to say, a lot of laughs, a lot of fun here. Yeah. A lot of laughs, a lot of fun here. Yeah. Talking to the people at Second City and everybody knows your name. That's nice. Every, yeah, well, I mean, it's got to feel nice because you worked really hard here. Yeah. I, I, being like a... Being an alumni of Second City was always part of the dream. You know, I I had come here from Cincinnati, Ohio, mm-hmm. and I had actually seen a show with A.D. Bryant. A.D. Bryant was on ETC. Your, your show co-star. Yes. And I remember watching A.D. and I, the rest of the cast, and I just, I had really honed in on A.D. and just thought she was so magnetic and wonderful and all these things. And I was like, okay, well, that's what I want to do. Well, how did you navigate 
the white boy patriarchy that has become associated with Second City mm-hmm. that we now talk about and know and like go, oh yeah, that wasn't fair. Like mm-hmm. there was all these white dudes on stage and and no one else for quite some time. For, They've boy. since tried to fix that and have fixed it. Yes. I think, but I don't know what you think. Well, I, I think that they, my honest answer is people can get really caught, could get really caught up looking at all the white boys that had these spots. Yeah. But I found it uh, so boring. And so for me, the the people that were Sorry, the comedy boring, I, what they I, were doing, yeah, be, because yeah. it's it's if it's any like monolith, right? It's like if you only are uplifting one voice, then great. Every time I see them perform, I've already heard that voice. Mm-hmm. But there was a team in Chicago that really like shook the foundations, and that was Three P, which was an all black team. And people, they started selling out these shows. We were all going to see Three Pete, all going to see Three Pete because we hadn't heard that voice yet. And it was the same with, uh, it was like, I think Strawberry Daiquiri, Virgin Daiquiri, Virgin Daiquiri, that they, that was an all woman team that mm-hmm. people would go and see. And it was all these teams that were all women or all queer people or all black or all people of color that they became the most interesting thing to see because you hadn't seen it. Mm-hmm. And those were all people that weren't waiting around for a spot. They were like, great. If the only thing you want is white boys, then we're going to go do this show over here. And I think Second City, was a business, took yeah. notice. You know, everybody's buying a ticket at this theater that's not ours. It's time to make some changes. Were you voicing your concerns? Were you... Or at that time, is it just like, shut up, take the job, do my thing? Or were you like, we need to explore more opportunities and I be think, more representative? Well, I was in women and gender studies at DePaul. Right. When so I you're got like here. living this life and then you're going. Yeah. So I don't think there's ever been a time where I haven't voiced okay, <laughs> my okay, opinion. Okay. Okay. But I didn't think, but it was also, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, I didn't need to voice the, the opinion that it was like a big knock on these white boys. It was just like. Great. It doesn't feel like there's space for us here. Yeah. Let's go to this theater where there is space for us and let's do this show. And then you find the funniest women and queer people and people of color that you can and you put these shows together and they're better. They right. are better because there's more voices inside of them. And comedy is about connecting to as many people as possible. And so the shows that are more diverse, even if you're looking at it from a business standpoint, they reach a bigger audience. And so that was what happened. So it wasn't me you know, raging against the machine by saying it's not fair. It was me saying, oh, how boring. Let's have fun somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Your name, the last that we were talking about it uh, before you got here, like Fightmaster. Mm-hmm. Real last name. Real last name. Like, that's incredible. Thank you. You realize that. I mean, you know I'm that really at this lucky. point. Yeah. Where is that from? I, I, uh, is it German? I, it seems it German. It has to be German. <laughs> and I German. actually think it means something like master of the forest. It's oh, like oh, a looser okay. translation. Environmental spin. But the yeah, environmental yeah. spin. <laughs> but I also, I really am violent. Okay. <laughs> that's it. When did the funny come into play? I feel like a lot of queer people, when they're younger, lean into the funny. Yeah. Right? I, yeah. It's, sorry, it's the like defense. Was it that or was it just like, Well, I think the funny is it's fun, right? You know, Mm -hmm. like it's fun and it's a way to connect. Like all the queer people I know actually are really funny Mm because they're so, a lot of them are us are so good at connecting. But I do think there is that, there is that wall that you put up of like, Mm -hmm. just in case anyone wants to get a joke in about me or my appearance or something that 
I'm not even sure what they're going to joke about because you know you don't always even have that language for yourself no. yet. You're like, okay, well, I'm going to make I'm going to make me the last person you want to joke about because mm-hmm. I'll come for you. Yeah, <laughs> if you do. Yeah, and you know, not in that really like I'm not going to tear you to shreds way. It's not a roast way. Yeah. It's that no one wants to come for the funniest person in the room because they know the flip side of the coin is. You're going to lose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to me, comedy's scary. Yeah. You know, like it's being serious or being straightforward is a lot easier. Mm-hmm. But the comedy, it's you're really being vulnerable in that moment. That's the way I feel. I, I think know. so many people feel the opposite. Yeah. That's, but that, how nice. Yeah. Like, that's why you're here. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I throw the joke in, but I don't want it. The idea of having to do it on demand, mm-hmm. does that get to you? Like, like yeah. you know, we're asking you to go to Second City. To me, I had like a pit in my stomach being like, ah, they don't want to go and have to be thrown into the situation and have to try and be funny again. And But you, I, it doesn't make you nervous. No, but, but I think it doesn't. What I really do like about improv is I think it's an art form. Mm. And I didn't go to acting school, but now I do drama. And I, I think it's because improv is not about, um, it's not about jokes. It is about... It's about acting a situation really intensely. Yeah. So, you know, if you're having a fight in real life, you might try not to say the worst thing or you might not try not to be embarrassed. So you're doing all this masking. But in improv, if you're doing a fight scene, you actually have to say exactly what you're feeling in that moment, which isn't necessarily on its face a joke. But the audience is like, that is what I think. And that's why they laugh. That makes sense. Yeah. I see that. Yeah. When did you when did you start playing with the I'm gay, I'm different from mm-hmm. other people? When when was that uh evident to you? The minute I started women and gender studies. So I had I was like nineteen, I guess, and I had, Oh, not till later. Not till later. Really? I had in the middle school, high school, no. were you just playing the game? Like I I had no idea. I, I grew up I grew up at a time in Ohio, I think it's hard for people that are younger than us to Uh believe these things, but I grew up at a time in Ohio where we just weren't, there were no gay people. Yeah. We just didn't see them. Mm -hmm. And they weren't even, in a lot of ways, the overt butt of the joke. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a bunch of slurs all the time. It was like every once in a while, some dad would be light in his loafers and that would be an insult that you would hear or um, you would know that a, a woman was uh, a lesbian because she wasn't conventionally attractive mm-hmm. would be you know so all of these like negative associations with gay people that you're never seeing or meeting and so I actually was in a relationship with a, a another teenager at like the age of 15 it was a queer relationship but we didn't even know what we were doing right because so you were there but you weren't there yeah it's just like kind of we had we did would not have known the language that it was gay what we were doing. See, I had the same thing and I said, Really? I'm I'm gay. Uh-huh. But I, I honestly didn't know what that meant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes, like I there do. was the a very clear gay moment uh-huh. happening. Uh-huh. And I said, I think my brother came home and I said, I'm gay. I he can't know I'm gay. And I did not know what that meant. That was like seventh grade or eighth grade or something. Interesting. And didn't know what it meant. Do you and remember I having crushes? No, I never had crushes. I mm. never looked at men and thought I had crushes on women, uh-huh. like Tiffany from Say by the Bell, whatever, whatever her name, Kelly from Say by the Bell. Yeah. Um, but didn't know 
I didn't. I, I, be, I feel like I became asexual up until college. Yeah. Well, we do that to ourselves, yeah. I think, a lot. Or, or Did you find yourself doing that? A hundred percent. I was like, you know, all these, all my friends are such idiots. They're so, mm-hmm. such, they're so boy obsessed. But it's yeah. like, no, you're just not at all you're not boy at all. obsessed. <laughs> and the only men that are like, well, they're gorgeous. I, now I dress like them. Mm-hmm. But they're, right. Yeah. You're looking more at admiration. I, so yes. yes, yes, I get that. I That's would look at the, the women and be like, I want to be tan and have those abs. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And the big hair. It's like the, when gay men tell me that they have had like crushes on beautiful women and then then somehow at some point in your friendship you see their drag persona and you're like oh now that's typical <laughs> yeah yes. yeah so you're in gender st- you take gender studies uh-huh. yes which i have to believe a lot of people are gay that take gender studies oh, right I like, actually i i'm not sure that there are straight people that okay okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> I, just wanna, I didn't want to stereotype but yeah, no i will yeah. um <laughs> I, and you should take it even if you are straight okay. um yeah i just feel like i should say that it is very helpful um if you don't want to be an asshole um <laughs> I, so I moved from Ohio to Chicago. I actually, tra- I was at the University of Cincinnati mm-hmm. and I transferred to Chicago to do Second City. But I was like, you, you know, knew you were, how does it work? Do you have to audition for Second City or do you just get in? It's classes. Okay, so, so you pay and they let you in. Yeah, 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 exactly. You're paying yeah. for classes and I, I came up, I transferred to DePaul so I could do the Second City stuff. And while I was at DePaul, I took one class with Professor Robin Mitchell. And um, I cried the whole time. I, it was a women and gender studies class, and I just cried the whole time. But I, I think- In class or privately? Or? All the time. Like legitimately would be in the class crying. And it, it, it was such a, a visceral unlearning process. Like I had grown up in a really white space. I yeah. had grown up around all middle to upper class. Like there was not a lot of diversity in my town. I did not see queer people. and so. And all of the women and men that I did see were acting the same way. So then when you take this class and you're learning about these, you know, interlocking systems of oppression and you're learning about the ways that, you know, you've participated in holding people down Mm. or uh, and the ability to now lift people up. It's it's like a big cathartic wash where you get to start over. And then at the same time, I'm, my classmates are all people of color and queer people and women with shaved heads. And so I'm seeing something that I've actually never seen before. Yeah. And it is so immediate that I realize I'm queer. It was that quick. Yes. You didn't fight it? No, no. It was, it was like legitimately. Once I had the access to the language, which I think is why the conversation about, you know, banning books and don't say gay laws. Mm-hmm. They, Lawmakers understand that it is access to language that helps us understand our own identity. Mm-hmm. If you do not see gay people, you will not know you are gay. Mm-hmm. If you can see queerness and you have the language for it, and you are queer, you will likely identify as queer. Mm-hmm. So it's not that the conversation is, is, you know, there are more queer people now than ever because of this indoctrination. No, no, no. No, bitch. Yeah, we were no. here. We We've were been here. here. Yes. And now, and now we have, in the last 10 years, we really got this access to, we've been on TV more. We've had more platforms. We've, we've just had the ability to see each other. So there is an increasing number of queer people. And it's not that they're turning queer. It's that they're finally seeing mm-hmm. themselves, which is why we're having this massive pushback. Right. So what were those first first words that you said? Did you say, I'm gay? Did you say, I'm queer? That's very elevated if you said, I'm queer right out the gate. I 
I remember um, thinking maybe I was bi. Yeah. Because I just hadn't. I was. I didn't want to rule anything out. Right. Let's try I, it all. Yeah. Let's try it all. <laughs> and then I, I also didn't want to disappoint anyone. I was so worried that when I did tell my family or people back home, mm-hmm. um, if I hadn't. If I hadn't actively pursued men, then it would be a, a question for them that I hadn't tried. Right. And so I did that. How do you know if you haven't tried? Yeah. yeah. And it turns out that you do know without you trying. You do know. Yeah. You absolutely you know. Do not, yeah. How do you know you don't like to eat ash? Yeah. I thought you were going to say ass. I know. <laughs> I was like. <laughs> <laughs> not here. <laughs> It's like okay, yeah. <laughs> um, so, wh- how did your family? How did your family take it? Uh, my my mom is so great about it now. At the time, she was really stunned. I think, and I, at at that time, that really hurt my feelings. Yeah, I you know I saw it as this big kick in the teeth. But now I tell queer kids that are coming out, you are telling your family something they're not expecting to hear, and just like. Some people don't like being watched when they open up a present. Mm-hmm. Some people will not have the ability to immediately put on the face that you need them to. Yeah. They're having their experience with it. So, you know, if if you need to come out to your family and you want to do it in writing so that you don't have to see their initial shock, that is an active option. Because I I needed my mom in that moment to be so excited for me. But my mom, and I have talked about it now, and she's like, I had to reimagine your whole life. Right. Everyone else, your dad, your, you have a brother, one mm-hmm. brother? I have a, yeah. Have they been okay with it? I, don't, I, I think my family is so truly feminist that I didn't even think about telling them. I was okay. like, they don't need to know. The, oh, okay. Yeah. So you didn't have that moment, just with no, your mom? No, just mom. Mom was, mom was head of house. And so t- telling mom wow. that, that, like, you know, everybody would know. In, in, not in, like, a you know, bad way, but yeah. in, like, she's the head of house. This is the one conversation that you have. Oh, and then everybody, the, the, she'll disseminate the information. Yeah, the oh, she sees fit. <laughs> okay, great. That's incredible. So you're, so then you evolve and where, do you, do you think I need to like pursue gender studies? I need to live this. I need to breathe it. Or were you already in the world of comedy and wanting to pursue Second City? Like, to me, they were kind of the same thing like they were integral to each other because the it gender studies gets a bad rap for having no funny people inside of it because it's a very like serious like yeah you know it's just a really serious fight the man yeah 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 but the the superpower that i had was being able to come into those spaces and learn a lot but also bring some levity yeah because you still inside of these spaces that are so heartfelt and so everyone's trying their hardest we still have to infuse those spaces with mm-hmm. joy which i think over the last few years we've gotten better about um but then i would come into the comedy space that was all white guys with beards at the yeah. time and i was coming with a gender studies lens and it wasn't me going on stage and making these you know these fight the power jokes, it was that my thinking was very egalitarian. Like my- Explain that. that yeah, I'm not, I didn't take, I'm not that smart. Egalitarian, <laughs> what's egalitarian? It's, it's not always to me about going into the scene and talking and saying point blank, I'm a feminist. It's uh, yeah. about being it's a feminist subtlety. and yeah. being in the scene. Because you're, the things that you talk about and the things that you joke about they are 
probably less offensive. They aren't meant to alienate mm -hmm. people. They aren't meant to dominate. And they're meant to include everyone. Um, and so people are then are watching a bunch of white guys do some things that are kind of inherent to being a white guy at that time, which is dominate and alienate and, you know, separate. And then there are people on stage that are trying to build community with the audience and bring people in and the audience starts to shift their focus. Mm. And so I was having a, a really nice time at Second City, actually, just during the day doing really like thoughtful study about the revolution and then coming at night and doing shows for these audiences that a lot of times it was people from the suburbs that were coming in. Right. And never seen someone like you probably. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're having a nice time with me because femini feminism is not about telling people they're wrong. Feminism is about including everyone. Hmm. And so they, <laughs> we were having a nice time together and they walked away, I think, understanding that they had a really nice time with the tall gay one. Yes. That's the power of comedy. Yes. Did you find yourself funnier once you realized you were queer? A hundred percent. But only because I found that my comedy was kinder. Mm. I wasn't, once you come out, you're not so worried about people finding out who you are. That weight. Yeah. So you're not pushing You can't all describe the time. it until you go through it. Yes. You don't even know it's there. And you want people, it's like doing... It's like doing a really good drug. You want everybody to hit it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Come on. Right here. Yeah. <laughs> and so the minute that like the minute that you do come out, you're like, all right, everyone, like yes. come in and have a nice time. Where I think if when you're closeted, you're kind of like, I'm making jokes, but I'm keeping you at arm's length. Yeah. And there you don't have the same community because you don't know you're part of one. Right. Once you come out, you forget how hard it was to come out. Absolutely. And then you look proud and you go, oh shit, that wasn't so bad. Yeah, oh my God. And then it's all older queers sitting there with like young people. Oh, they're like, like, you have to tell them. Yeah, they're like, hey, sweetie. <laughs> like, go yeah. tell your mom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Screaming from the mountaintops. <laughs> Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Wow. So when did you discover that where, when did the word non-binary come into your, your life? And was it an automatic connection or that took time? It was uh, a person that I was seeing at the time had offhandedly referred to me as they. And it was 2018. And she had, and nobody, I feel like no, no one was saying they. No, no. I knew like I had like really just there were people like Pigeon who I was meeting that were mm -hmm. like really one of the guests we've had on this show mm -hmm, that were really shaping, like pushing gender in a really like beautiful and profound and thoughtful way. But I had seen what Pigeon doing and I was like, well, that's so brave that, you know, that's I'm not that brave. Mm. And then when this person that I was seeing referred to me as they, I was like, 
No, that's been it the whole time. You're like, that's the wrong grammar, though. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> that grammar is. That grammar is off. Did you have that moment? Because so many people come back with that. Like, well, it's not the right grammar. Uh-huh. And that's why they have trouble with it. How, what is your response to that? Because I'm sure you've heard it a million times uh-huh. and you want to flip a table. Well, I try to be really gentle with it because I don't think that we get anywhere by being... Uh, flipping tables. Yeah. By flipping tables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's somebody left their drink. I hope they come back for it. We actually use that all the time in a singular way. Mm-hmm. We as a culture have uh, an innate urge to push back against any kind of change, any kind of change. And so we are hearing people say, this is my identity. This is my identity. And I, I, I want you to see me. Mm-hmm. And so I'd appreciate if you would you know, accept my identity. And people are going, Wait, what? No, <laughs> no, the grammar is not right. Well, even if the grammar was incorrect, somebody's telling you who, who they believe that they are. That should take precedent. That should be the most important thing. So whether the grammar is right, which it is, or the grammar is wrong, somebody is telling you what they need to mm-hmm. feel respected by you. For me, that's the most important thing on earth is making other people feel like their humanity is being fully respected and seen. And so you just have to ask yourself, even if you can't get there with the grammar, what is more important, me being uh, a grammar Nazi or me making people feel seen? What do you think about the other idea? I've seen it very loosely, Zed and Mm Zay and a whole other term. I think language will continue to evolve. I like the language that's already readily available to us because I think it does the job. Like there are for, you know, people who identify as he, we, or she, or they, we, there are, their gender is just so vast that I, I think one, those three words could work right now. But I also think that we are part of, um, we are a species that has brains. And we are creative and we are thoughtful and we are engineering and we are pioneering. And so if there if other language becomes used or available, why not? You know, mm-hmm. we are not here very long. I'm not going to get caught up on Zed. Right. You start getting into this other world of film, mm-hmm. which is so different than the stage. Yes. Um, when did, what was that exploration like and did it feel comfortable right away for you? The first thing that I did on TV that I knew was gonna be on TV was Shrill. And that was with A.D. Bryant, who was also the first person I saw on stage at Second City. What does that feel like? It was really, it was really like, um, for lack of a better word, it really felt like godly, where it was like, here's this like profound moment for me of, me having this conversation with self of I want to do what that woman is doing and then that woman you know five years down the line asking me to be on her show was that how it went down yeah yeah she called you and yeah we had I had flown out to Portland actually to see a friend of mine who had booked the first season of the show and I was hanging out with the the cast and they had just met each other for the first time. So they were all meeting each other and they were all kind of like quiet and nervous. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not even supposed to be here. So yeah. I kind of like was like making sure that they were having a good time. And I took them to a restaurant and then we went to a bar and then we ended up at these like Portland has the best strip clubs 
Oh, I didn't and know that. They, yeah, it's it's uh, all the dancers are really hot and queer. Okay. And uh, eighty at the end of the at the end of the night had looked at me and said, "You were supposed to be here." And then they shot the first season, and at the beginning of the second season, I got a call. Wow. Yeah. That's special. It was awesome. And then was there a discussion about what your character would be like and how they would present themselves? They they because they were non-binary, correct? Uh -huh. Yeah. In the first season, actually. I had just privately started coming out to everybody because I think that was like 2018. I, coming out as non-binary. Uh -huh. And when I got the show, you know, the first things that you do on, on TV, you're so just like grateful to be there. Yes. And so when I saw that it was written as she, her, I didn't say anything. And then, but behind the scenes and I was hanging out with everyone, everyone started to pick up that it was they, them, and I was non-binary. and. AD pulled me aside at the end of the season and was like, is this a change you'd like? And then I came back in the third season and M was they, them. Simple as that. Yeah. How intuitive and to know and yeah. to pick up on that. Yeah, she is incredible. She's, she's one of those people that you really get, um, you're really lucky to work with because yeah. she's, she's an artist and a good person and everything that she works on, every space that she's in, she makes it better. So I have to believe that was an incredible experience. Yeah. The show is brilliant. Um, and, and for a chance to you to portray a character like that, not common. No. Not common at all. No. And for that to be one of your first, well, your first major yeah, role. Definitely first major. Um, did you realize how special it was? And were you devastated when it ended? Oh, yeah, I was devastated when it ended. I was also devastated when it ended because I didn't know that it was ending. Uh, and so, and so we, you know, anybody who's watched the show, it, it ends on this kind of like cliffhanger note and people will come up to me and be like, you know, did, do you think Fran and M stayed together? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> in my heart and in yours. <laughs> Isn't it incredible though, how people connect to these yeah. characters and then you see why it's so important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You really do. So wh when did, from there, were you jobless? Like, no. like at the end of Trill, or was Grays already on the horizon? I think I waited two months and then booked Grays. What was that like? It was awesome. Were Were you called? Did someone see Shrill? Did you? Was it just an audition for? I think both things are true. I think the that I'd probably been seen on Shrill, mm -hmm. and uh, so so then I was put on a list of actors they were looking at for this role, and then I did a self tape in my home. And uh, and I knew I got it. Because, and truly, 12, 12 hours later, they called me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But it's, you know, it's that same thing all the time. It had been like, Shrill had come out. And I'm really not a, like a wait around person. I really like to keep doing other things. So I had booked this show with my band in New York and been like, you know, screw acting. Like, I'm not waiting. I'm gonna, and the yeah. minute I did it, the minute I oh. booked a show, I got the call from Grace. It's always that way. So was there a discussion about this character? And because it was a big deal that they were mm -hmm. non-binary, the first doctor mm -hmm. or the first person on Grey's to be non-binary? Yeah, and I think the I think if not if not the first, like the the first or second non-binary character on network TV. So huge deal. Mm -hmm. I actually wasn't ready at all. I didn't understand what was happening. Okay, then how did you navigate that? Um Because you know, there's like there's mm -hmm. TikTok trends and TikTok hashtags and Instagram and YouTube has clips of all of your relationship moments on the <laughs> show. And I feel like anyone in 
any place that I identified with you in any kind of way was like, this is our moment. Mm -hmm. This is it. So that's all coming at you mm -hmm. where you're probably just trying to like do a good job at that point. You're coming into the show that's been in its, it's what it was his 18th season when yeah. you joined. Yeah. But you know, the, the thing that is also true was I had been a touring comedian for a long time. Mm. And so even though I hadn't been, I hadn't been on anything as big as Grace, I had always known that a thing that made me happy was going in front of audiences and them thinking that maybe my identity at first wouldn't be attainable or understandable. And then over the course of a show, creating a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. So I actually never, I never had the illusion that I would just be an actor and not be an activist. I knew that they would happen at the same time. That season 18, that, you know, falling in love on camera mm -hmm. um, and showing a lot of people what non-binary was, uh -huh. but also that non-binary people could be loved was like this real spiritual experience. And, you know, Grey's is, a, Grey's is always a wild ride. You never know what's going to happen no. with your character. But season 18 specifically was just, I will hold in my heart for a long time. It's like, this is the power of representation. You had... You mentioned something in an interview and I thought it was so powerful and I'd love to hear you describe it again. You divide gender in two ways, spiritually and culturally. And I, I'd love for you to dive into that and tell me what, that, what that's like. For, for me, I think about gender as gender is different across all cultures, right? So the way that we express gender in America is different than in India or in other parts of the world. And so you can see in those ways that it is cultural. Mm -hmm. uh, just like in other countries, it's okay for men to cry. It doesn't harm their masculinity. So we do, we can see actual explicit examples of it being different in different places. That means it is a, it is a cultural thing. And American cultural gender is pretty traditional and can be a little violent. You know, we have the, our ideas of women's work and how women should behave and being a, a submissive party. And then we think of men as dominant mm -hmm. and uh, aggressive and the head of the house. And those, that's not innate. You are not born with those things as part of your body. That's a cultural institution mm -hmm. that's laid upon us and we call it gender. But for me, gender is energetics. You know, there are people. That's that, the spiritual. Yes, it's yes, it's, it's this because there, there is something that is true about there are feminine traits and there are masculine traits. But the part that's not true is that feminine means woman and masculine means man. That's, that's the part where we miss the boat a little bit. We can see across all different religions that there are different gods that have traits that gods that are presenting as women or gods that are presenting as men that have these men, these male gods have these very feminized traits. And we don't think of them as weak mm -hmm. because that's, uh, that's our own projection of gender. That's our own American culturalism. So when I'm experiencing gender, I'm experiencing the energy that is honest to me. And so that looks like a rejection of American culture, which is why I think we push back against queerness and transness and non-binary. We push back against all of these queer identities because 
they are a rejection of the idea that because I am born with certain genitals, I will dominate. And because I'm born with these gen genitals, I will stay in the home. I, I don't think any of that is real. I yeah. think that is meant to maintain rules that benefit a system that is actually not benefiting any of us. How do you begin to break that down? I think that you're seeing this massive push to regulate trans bodies and queer mm -hmm. bodies right now uh, because we're no longer working for the system. We're saying, hey, this system of, of I belong here because of my genitals and I am an overlord because of my genitals, that system is ridiculous and it's not working for us. So we're gonna go in our own communities and we're gonna find our own joy. And I think that the powers that be are looking at that as a real threat. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a threat to the way that we see labor in this country. It's a threat to the way that we see childcare in this country. You know, how will men work and how will women take care of the children if they are happy with exactly who they are? If, if they are not beholden to gender roles and stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And so trans people are an actual threat. They are a threat to capitalism. They are. they are. And so we are seeing a capitalist nation make it illegal to be trans. It's become the new uh, gay marriage. Yeah. Right? Because gay marriage was the thing that got everyone riled up. Mm-hmm. On, That's true. On the right. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, they want to get married. Mm -hmm. What are you talking about? And then now that's gone. Well, and, and now we're talking about like, oh, they want to have, they want to take away their breasts. Yeah, yeah. But this other person wants to get a double D and that's fine. A hundred percent. Yeah. yeah that, I'm not talking about transgender. Like mm -hmm. Betty Sue on Main Street wants to get her We've always enlarged. been fine with cis people yeah. getting surgeries done to make them feel better about the way that they look. We just don't like it when trans people do it. Mm -hmm. that, 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 and you know what? I firmly believe it's none of my business if someone wants to get a jaw implant to feel like more of a man yeah. or breast implants to feel like more of a woman. I, it's, that's none of my business, just like it's not my business if someone wants to get their breasts removed mm -hmm. to feel more like themselves. Cis people have been getting surgeries to fit yes. cultural stereotypes for a long time. Yes. You see that with in other cultures, we see foot binding so that women could be more feminine. You get mm -hmm. breast implants so that women can be more feminine in America. We, there are a million ways, even dyeing your hair blonde in the early 2000s. Was I a feel way attacked. To I feel like you're attacking me <laughs> But the, No, yeah. It's, that, that's, it's all made up. And, it's all made up scenarios. And if like, we were going to, to judge something, that would be people getting surgeries done to fit into a culture instead of a, a group of people that are getting surgeries done to fit in with themselves. Mm. So Fuck, really- Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> put that on a t-shirt. Put that on a t-shirt. Uh, you got this award from the HRC, from your home state mm -hmm. of Ohio. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Your speech was magnificent. Thank you. What what did you feel? Is that full, that must be the true meaning of full circle? It's so interesting to see how Cincinnati is just a completely different place than where I grew mm. up. It's it doesn't it doesn't even feel like I'm going home in a lot of ways, and it it's definitely all for the better. So then going home and receiving that award, I'm I also am taking in the city that has changed so much and uh, it diversified so much and is trying so much harder to be a better place for so many more people. And so that's really exciting. It felt nice to 
in that speech address trans and non-binary kids because I do think that they're the power of representation is that a lot of these kids are being separated from the ways in which they can see themselves, mm-hmm. right? It's the same conversation we were having earlier. It's like, I grew up, I could not see myself, so I did not know that I was gay. The reason these kids are attached to me when they watch Grey's Anatomy is because they're seeing themselves for the first yeah. time. It actually doesn't have anything to do with me. And now they're being separated from queer programming. We're cutting a bunch of queer characters. We're, we're getting rid of a lot of queer people behind the scenes. We're making laws. We're trying to get them out of sports. We're doing all these things that are trying to separate them from their identity. And the reason that we're doing that is because they have the most powerful identity. There is nothing braver than being a trans kid. Mm. That, and it's not because they're doing something that is so that they're trying to get attention for. The, the revolutionary part of what trans kids are doing is that they know exactly who they are in spite of an entire world telling them exactly who they should be. And they are choosing to receive violence in order to be as true to themselves as they can. And in that HRC speech, I just had to tell them how proud I am of them Mm. and how much I love them. That's special. You're a superhero for them. Well, thank you. You are. No, it is. They need someone to be their voice because they don't have it yet. That's crazy. I, I, it's, you know, it's, it's weird to be, it's weird to be queer in America right now because you, we are getting all these concentrated attacks and it's just like any community, Mm -hmm. you know, we all love each other. We, we have our barbecues and we have our meetups and we go to our drag shows and we read our books and we fight and we fall in love and we have family and we have our pets. We are human beings and our communities are just like people of color in America are being attacked. Queer mm-hmm. people are being attacked. We are, for some reason, we have chosen this point in America right now to attack everybody on the margins. And it's, it's a waste of our time. Mm-hmm. We don't have a lot of time here, but it's also a waste of everybody's time that is attacking us. Because while they attack us, it's a waste of their time. They're not celebrating their own lives. No, it's lashing out. Mm -hmm. It's not taking time to like celebrate what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You're worried about what other other people are doing. Yeah, yeah. This show is titled "It's Okay to Ask Questions." Mm -hmm. I wonder what question have you been asked time and time and time again that Mm -hmm. you always have to go back to. I mean, the real one I get all the time is basically what is non-binary. Yeah. And um, I, I try to explain that when, when I was hearing the name that I was given by my mom before she knew me, mm-hmm. I, which is a very knew you as a human being, human being yeah. as an adult. I, it was, there was a sharpness of mm. not being known. And so for a long time in my life, people were calling me fight. And I loved that uh, because it was this genderless name. Mm -hmm. And then when I asked people for they, them, some people started calling me by my birth name again, as if to say, like, you're asking me for a big change. Well, I know who you really are. And the fact of the matter is, no, I know who I really am. And I don't feel like a woman Mm -hmm. and I don't feel like a man. And I don't feel a minor discomfort when I'm mistaken for either. I feel dysphoria. I feel like a human being. And 
just like some people feel really grounded in their their womanhood and some people feel really grounded in their transness i feel really grounded just being a human being Mm -hmm. i i'm rejecting the binary (laughs) (laughs) that's beautiful so that's my answer to the question i get all the time that's a good answer that's a good answer (laughs) thank you so much this was so much fun thank Thank you you so much Mm -hmm. i loved it thanks for your honesty absolutely yeah wow mic drop Mic drop. I feel really grounded just being a human. I'm rejecting the binary. Right. It couldn't be clearer. Yeah. I mean, so many people complain about this, like, binary, Z, you know, they, they're confused. Mm. But, like, that answer just just clears all that. It's it. Just accept people for who they are, who they want to be, and move on. Move on. Move on with your day. It's not that hard. It's not hard to be a nice person. Stop yeah. being asshole. And here's the thing. I'm not going to pretend that I was perfect and got it right away because I didn't. Agreed. But I've, I, I feel like I've tried to put the work in and understand it a little more. And it took some time. But now, now I really get the discussion and understand that it's not that complicated. Yeah. It's really not. It's, it's really just the bullshit that we have in our own head that prevents us from wanting to like believe someone when they tell us who they are, you know, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? You're quite, what do you mean you want to go by she now? Or you don't, you want to go by they now? What does that mean for me? Yeah. It doesn't have to mean anything for you. And I think that's why this conversation was so strong because they really get to share their experience. And I, I love the part when they talked about how they were just crying for every time when they were in that gender studies class, mm-hmm. because that's, it's a life-changing experience for them. So just respect their respect them. Respect. Yeah. Respect. That's what it's about here on It's Okay to Ask Questions. What I love that we did with ER is I, I was so happy to do this. We actually got to go to the second city after the interview where they right. went up on stage like the old days and performed. And we have some of that footage in our TV version of this wonderful interview. And you can go to NBCChicago.com and type in It's Okay to Ask Questions. They also eat the entire lemon. Oh, <laughs> That was quite a thing to watch. That is true. You do not want to miss that. No, you just got to go and know that ER shoves a lemon rind and all into their mouth and eats it. And I was like aghast. And you liked it, right? I clutched my pearl. Well, you have to watch to see if I liked it. (laughs) I don't know if I liked it or not. Uh, Everybody, please like, subscribe to It's Okay to Ask Questions because it is. Bye, everybody. Have a great day. Bye. Guests of It's Okay to Ask Questions experience the elevated luxury at the renowned Waldorf Astoria, Chicago. Here, guests looking for the ideal urban escape will find elegant suite options, including terraces with sweeping city views and in-suite fireplaces for intimate evenings. With grand amenities and world-class eating and drinking venues, the Waldorf Astoria, Chicago offers an unforgettable destination.